Good morning, Miss Yo. Nice. That was strong. That was solid today. Thanks, y'all. Um, anybody remember the show Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? That ring a bell for anybody? This weekend I uh had my boys and I had the globe out and they were asking all kinds of questions about where's this country and that country and this, and most of it was associated with like soccer teams and where players had been traded and stuff. We got to watch some of the World Cup together and they've been obsessed, addicted. I don't know what the right word is, but like obsessed just ever since about teams and players and where they're going and all this stuff. And it's like a month ago, I didn't know who half of these people were. And now I have to know because my boys know, uh, it's been kind of fun, but this morning for, as we start, I want to take just a couple minutes and play a short little version of where in the world together. Can we do that? Does it sound good? Okay. So if you were going to go visit the tallest building in the world currently, where would you go? Does anybody know where the Jeddah Jeddah Tower at 3,281 feet is located? Anybody know? Saudi Arabia. I heard a couple, I think. Yeah, it, it recently surpassed uh, the Burj Khalifa, which was in Dubai. What I've learned is that every single year, it seems like there's this race to see who can build the tallest building. Sounds kind of biblical and troublesome if you ask me, but we'll leave that alone for now. Um, if you wanted to go visit the first wonder in the world, right? There's seven on the list, right? But they named the first one. Do you guys know where you would go to visit the first wonder of the ancient world? Giza Pyramid, the great Giza Pyramid in Giza, Egypt. I think I heard somebody say that. If you wanted to go to the founding and the original place of the first hamburger in the United States, and we know where you'd go? Louis Lunch, New Haven, Connecticut. Been there. I heard somebody refute that. That's okay. We can talk about it later. Uh, you know, um, how about if you wanted to go experience the all natural, delicious, original, I, I love the anticipation. Like, what's he going to say? Thank you guys for engaging this morning. Uh, pineapple Dole Whip. Where would you go? The Dole Plantation on Oahu. Yes. Or if they ever open up again in Northwest Portland, there's a place called Go Poke, and they started carrying it like last year, year and a half ago. But unfortunately, they like shut down during winter break, and we're just like we're like waiting. When are you guys going to open up again? We heard it's because they can't find good solid employees, which is a super bummer. But, anyways, yeah, you'd go to you jump on a plane, you go to Oahu. How about this one? If you wanted to go to the city that is good and is beautiful, that has foundations which are righteousness and justice, and a place with no pain, no tears, and no death. Where would you go? What city would you go to? What I propose to you this morning is that you wouldn't actually go to a place, but you'd go to a person. And his name is Jesus. Because that city is the new city that will come when Christ comes again someday. We've been in a series, simply I've called it Jesus. And we've been talking about and looking at who Jesus is in light of the, the fourfold gospel, that Jesus is our savior, that he's our sanctifier, that he's our healer. And this morning, we're going to be talking about Jesus, the coming king. Now, if you look throughout scripture, what we would learn and what we would see is that the second coming of Jesus is a distinct and very important part of the apostolic gospel, meaning the gospel, the good news that both Jesus proclaimed and that all of the apostles proclaimed directly after experiencing life with him and being called out into a gospel life of mission. If we were to open up 1 Corinthians 15, we would read a phrase where Paul says, I remind you of the gospel that I declared to you, 
And then he would go on for 58 verses, one of the longest chapters that he's written. And he would spend his whole time talking about the resurrection, the second coming of Jesus, and all the implications that that holds for us. He spends so much time on it because it is the glorious hope and the culmination of all aspects of the gospel that we've been talking about and that are held within the canon of scripture. If we were to talk about the gospel of salvation, which we did on the first week of this series and talking about Jesus as our savior, we could go to first Peter and in first Peter one, five, Peter writes this. He says, through faith, we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. Peter is talking about the fact that yes, we've been given and have salvation now because of Jesus, but the fulfillment of that salvation actually will not be until the very last days. Again, looking at the fact that Jesus has to return as King for us to experience the fullness of salvation and talking about the gospel of salvation a few weeks ago and Jesus as sanctifier, Paul would write in Romans eight and also in second uh, Corinthians five, he would write and say that, that God has given us a glimpse of this resurrection power that when, but once he appears, that's when we're actually going to be like him. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. Again, linking this reality of our sanctification and the ultimate fulfillment of it, not actually taking place until Christ comes back again as King. And last week, Vicky spoke about divine healing and Jesus as our healer. And again, Paul would write there and he would talk about the fact that the healings that we can experience now holistically are just a glimpse of what the, will happen to our resurrection bodies, the new and full resurrection bodies that we will have only once Christ returns. But that divine healing, it's a first fruit of that second coming, the resurrection itself and what we will experience when Christ returns will be the full fruit of what we long for, what we desire. What I propose to you this morning is that according to scripture, all of it, because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done, that history is moving toward a culminating event. And that event is the return to the earth of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, is Christ our coming King. I'm going to put just a little caveat here, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to spend time this morning talking about eschatology and times in terms of the things that are often debated. I'm not going to talk about what's the timing of it. Is it going to be pre-mill, post-mill, pre-trip, post-trip? We don't have time to discuss all that. And that stuff, I would say, is it's up for debate, and that's why it is debated. Scripture is not super clear on it, although you ask some people, they'd say, yep, I'm hard here, I'm hard here. It's, it's debatable, and that's why it's debated. But what I want to talk about this morning is what Scripture is super clear on, the truth and the promise that, yes, one day Jesus will return. And when he returns, he'll return as king of kings and lord of lords. He'll re reign as king of all creation. The creation that he created, that he loves, that he died for as savior, that he's in the midst of redeeming and sanctifying as sanctifier, that he's at work healing and bringing and making whole new. And one day he is going to return as our coming king. And just like the first coming, it's going to be an event like the world has never seen before. And just like the first coming, his second coming is going to radically change the reality of the world forever. Okay. I want to look at and read a handful of scriptures with you this morning, uh, both of which are going to be found in Revelation. That's where we're going to look at uh, some meat here this morning. And so if you have a, your, your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up. If not, uh, we'll look at it together. It should be on the screen. Uh, I want to read the opening of the, the book of Revelation that was written by John, who was one of the apostles. And uh, we're going to get the first seven verses to start. 
Uh, and John writes this through revelation of the Holy Spirit. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to pause there for a second and and talk just about a few things that, that John pointed out here through revelation by the Holy Spirit. This is the revelation he's saying, the proclamation of of Jesus Christ, who he is. And he makes this simple statement, and yet it's quite profound that he says, Jesus Christ is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Again, a proclamation that he was before God. He is God. He's with all things, with God. He created all things. He was before this created world. He always has been. He is right now, and he is the one who is to come. Simple declaration, but pointing to Christ as what? A coming being. And he tells us what type of being, what type of person, what type of nature he holds. In verses five and six, he says that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. He says that he is a faithful witness. What he's talking about in these three things, he's talking about actually the three offices that Christ holds that scripture points to. John kind of puts them succinctly here. And those offices would be that he's a prophet, a priest, and a king. When he talks about him being the faithful witness, he's talking about Jesus in his prophetic office. If you think about the Old Testament, that's what prophets did, right? They came and they spoke on behalf of God. They were witnesses of God to the people, declaring the things that God desired to see happen in the world or what was going to happen, all based out of God's love, his goodness, his justice. They were proclaimers or witnesses of God. He's, John says here, Jesus was the, excuse me, was the, what is the faithful witness, the most faithful one that has been. Second, he says, the firstborn of the dead. He's talking about Jesus as priest. When we talk about Jesus as our salvation and our sanctifier, we talked about the fact that in the Old Testament system, right, the priests would have to go in and they would make a sacrifice. It was an atoning sacrifice. It was a propitiation, right? It would appease God for a time. When John says here that he's the firstborn among the dead, he's declaring to us that not only is Jesus the priest that made the sacrifice, But as we've talked about, that Jesus himself was the sacrifice. That in his priestly role, Jesus was a priest greater than any other who gave a sacrifice unlike none other, the once and for all sacrifice that needed to be made. Jesus is the firstborn among the dead. He was both a sacrifice and he rose again. And then he says, and he's the ruler of kings on earth. John is in simply terms saying, you have kings that rule on this earth, right? This level. And what is he saying? He's the ruler of all the kings on the earth. What is he? He's the king of kings. He's the king above kings. John is in simple terms declaring, again, Jesus is prophet, he's priest, he's king. He's the one who was, who is, and who is to come. He's declaring 
Jesus is, and all of this declaration that is about to be written here in Revelation is a revelation of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king who is coming again someday. That Jesus is our coming king. And if you think back throughout the Old Testament, this kingship is not something that is just showing up here for the first time. The proclamation of Jesus as king is all throughout the Old Testament. All of the prophets spoke to someday there was a king who would come what? In the line of David. And there would be now an eternal throne line of David. That's Jesus. And when Jesus was born, there was what? There was a proclamation by the stars and by those who traveled that said, we got to go what? Can you show us where is who? The king of the Jews. And Jesus, during his ministry, he spoke about more than anything else. He proclaimed the good news of what? The kingdom of God. That phrase, the good news of the kingdom of God, 66 times throughout the synoptic gospels, Jesus was constantly, everything he was doing was pointing to what? The good news of the kingdom of God and declaring himself what? The king of that kingdom. Even saying, go and repent, believe the good news. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here right now in a new way, like never before throughout history. But you, humanity, you have access now to this kingdom of God. Why? Because I am here. And I have come as what? The king, the servant king. And in his death, as he stood before the governments that were accusing him and the people spitting, doing all the things, they mocked him saying, here's the king of the Jews. And what did he say? So you say that I am. He allowed himself to be known and understood and worshiped as king. And John is synthesizing all that for us here and proclaiming there is a day that he's going to come back again. And Jesus himself proclaimed that. Verse 8 of chapter 1 here, John finishes up his introduction by saying this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, first and last letter of, of the Greek alphabet, says the Lord God, again, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. I want to flip over to towards the end of Revelation and spend a little time here. Because I think the, the question would be partly, John, what's the nature and what's, what's it going to look like when... Jesus comes again. And fortunately, God revealed that to him by his spirit, and it's revealed to us here in scripture. And again, this is where we're not going to get into the timing of it, but the reality and the truth that there is a promise that he is going to return. And this is what it's going to look like when Jesus comes as our coming king. So I want to look at now uh, Revelation 21, and we're going to read again uh, about seven verses. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega, I am the beginning, I am the end, and to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. 
and the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Again, the declaration of a city that actually works and functions the way that it's supposed to. Because the foundations of this city are righteousness and justice. A city that is promised to come, guaranteed to come, the timing of which we're told unsure, but a guarantee and a promise that it is to come. But a city that only exists, a reality that only exists, a kingdom that only exists because Jesus is the king. I love and I appreciate what uh, Daryl Johnson, who's a pastor and a, a prof up at Regent, uh, up in, in Vancouver, he said the purpose of apocalyptic literature when you read it is, is two things. But one, he said the first is that it sets the present moment in light of the unseen reality of the future. The purpose and the point of anything that we're reading in scripture that is apocalyptic in nature, meaning looking towards the end time of, of Christ's second coming, First and foremost, it's, that it's to set the present moment in light of the unseen reality of the future. I want you to think about that for a second. That as we read this, the invitation I believe to us, church, this morning is to set our present moments in light of the unseen reality of the future. I think the invitation that God has for us this morning as we look through and consider Jesus Christ as our coming King is really just a reminder to remember the story that you are actually a part of. Remember the story that you are actually a part of. See, this, this city this new heaven, this new earth, the return of Jesus as king, it is sure, it is imminent. You know, people have asked me in the last few years because of the pandemic and everything, people have asked me, Dominic, do you think these, we're in the end times? And my honest answer, not trying to be cute, is I believe that today we are closer to the end times than we were yesterday. And right now at 10, 12, we are closer to the end times than we were at 930 when we walked in the building. Serious, you know what I mean? Jesus tells us to watch for it, to wait for it, to look for it, to yearn for it, to seek him, to seek his kingdom, even to work for it, to plan for it, to prepare for it. There's all kinds of parables we could look at, all these kinds of analogies we could look at in the gospels that Jesus speaks to, talking about the good news of the kingdom of God and the day that he will come back and return and reign and rule in this perfect city where there is no more death, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow but he doesn't tell us the exact time. But the invitation all throughout scripture, again, is to live our present reality right now in light of the unforeseen future that is guaranteed and promised by God out of his love for us and his love for this world. Missio, what is the story that you are living into right now in your present reality? Is it tied to, is it anchored in, and is it grounded by the unforeseen future that is promised here? That there is a good king, king of kings, and there is a good city, a beautiful city. Are you living in light of that reality? When Jesus returns, I want to read for you a few things that scripture says about what Jesus returns. Some of them are picked out of here in Revelation. Others are in other scriptures, and I'll read them for you. Not the scriptures, but the references. But there's a promise, again, of this good city that actually works the way it's supposed to. And when Jesus returns, it will be visible, 
It will be personal, meaning distinct. It will be him himself, not some apparition of him or some hologram of him. It will be him personally, and it will be glorious. John said that in Revelation 1-7. When Jesus comes, he will be vindicated in the eyes of the world. John said that again in Revelation 1-7, when he said he will appear and the whole world will mourn and wail, those who are even present at the day of his crucifixion that mocked him as king and said, oh, if you're really king, bring yourself down from that cross. And again, what did he say? Father, for, for, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're not living their current reality in light of the future unseen reality that is true to come. But Jesus will be vindicated in the eyes of the world. Every human being will face the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. That's spoken both in Revelation 1-7 and also 2 Corinthians 5. Paul talks about that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Revelation chapter 20, if we had time to read through it all and other aspects of it and other pieces of not only Revelation, but scripture, Satan is going to be banished from the earth. When Jesus returns, Satan is going to be banished. The reason why there'll be no more pain, no more hurt, no more suffering, no more tears is because the devil will no longer have reign and rule and freedom to roam throughout the earth. He will have been defeated and shackled and thrown away, conquered by the risen king. God's righteous reign will be established over the whole of creation. Revelation 20 again shows us that. The whole of creation will be liberated from the curse of sin. Paul writes about that extensively in Romans chapter 8. And there will be a new heaven, a new earth. We will be forever with the Lord the way we were created and intended to be. We just read that in Revelation 21. Other places speak of that as well. And all of this is true and guaranteed and promised only because Jesus is king and he is coming again someday. And I would propose to you that if you and I were to go out and proclaim this good news of the kingdom to the world, what do you think their reaction would be? I think it would be positive. What about you? Right? I mean, if, if, we, if we proclaimed, if we actually as Christians lived in light of this reality, and we proclaimed and lived in light of this reality, I think the world would actually react pretty favorably to it. If we could tell them and share with them that there is a good king and there is a good story that he has written, and it is the true story because it points to a city where there is no more pain, no more hurt, no more suffering. Why? Because evil has been banished and no longer has freedom to do its evil among us. I think people would long for this. Maybe I'll just speak for myself. I, I, I long for this. But I think even for myself this morning, the invitation from the Lord is, Dominic, are you living? Or what, what story are you living into, right? And are you living your present reality in light of this future unseen promised reality? That the whole world is actually moving toward this culminating event, the return of Jesus Christ as king to the earth. I know you guys, I know we pick up our phones and the headlines every single morning are horrible. War, suffering, systemic racism, brutality, killing. A six-year-old takes a gun into a school. I mean, on and on and on. I know you guys that at times we read and we go, how? Like, what would you even mean? And we sit and we live in that tension of going, if this is the actual promised reality, and if the whole world is actually moving toward this culmination in this good promised city that actually works the way it's supposed to function because the foundations of it are righteousness and justice, what, what and why and how and what? 
See, I think Jesus, when he was proclaiming actually the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, spoke into that tension though. In the gospel of John, he spent four chapters talking about the fact that he was actually going to leave. And he had to leave. Why? Because he had to go be the firstborn among the dead. He had to go fulfill his priestly role. He had to go lay down and give up his life on the cross for the salvation and the healing, the restoration of the world. And he said, when I leave, after I do that, I'm going to leave. And in between now and this time that I come back, you are going to experience struggle. You are going to experience hardship. There is going to be suffering. Even for you that believe, there will be persecution for believing the reality of this. And later in Revelation, there is this promise that before Jesus comes, there's going to be wars. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be these powers that rise up and pretend and all this stuff and posture. It's going to be a mess. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus says, what? I've told you these things. So that while you live in this world, you can still have hope and you will take heart because I have overcome the world. Missio, are we viewing and seeing the world and the realities of it and just going, no, this is the reality. This is horrible. This is all there is, both whether from a myopic view of my own or from the world as a whole, or are we living and viewing, setting the present moment in light of this unseen reality of the future? What story are you living into? What story am I living into? What story collectively as a community are we living into? Daryl Johnson said that the second thing that is beneficial or the second key purpose of apocalyptic literature is to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the present. Not only to set the present moment in the unseen realities of the future, but to set the present moment in the unseen realities of the present. Church, there is no kingdom, this future that we long for and desire, there is no kingdom without the king. So again, I think we would present this to the world and they would go, oh my gosh, that city sounds perfect. Where is it? Take me there. Put it in my Google Maps for me. Show me how to get there. But then when you tell them <laughs> that this kingdom actually is Jesus's kingdom, I think that's where they go, wait, what? Huh? Huh? And I think for us, sometimes that can be true as well. I'll admit it's, that's true for me. I long for, and I desire to see the kingdom now, but I sometimes forget if I'm being honest with you, that the greatest unseen reality of the present moments moment is Jesus, who was the firstborn from among the dead, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead and the king of all kings. Again, tied to the same question I've been proposing today, what story are we living into? Are we living into the story and the reality of the present moment that actually the greatest unforeseen reality of, of, of this moment and every moment of our lives is Jesus? 
that he is here with us, not only with us, but abiding within us, that he has invited us into the great dance of love that he and the Father and the Spirit are doing at all times. We get to live in that reality that, that he's here, he's present, he's working in this world, even amidst all the headlines that I see on my phone, even amidst all the thoughts that race through my head, even amidst all those things. And the reality is that when I long for things in this world, I'm actually longing for him, to be connected to him, to experience him, and to experience the realities of his kingdom. The picture of the kingdom is so beautiful. It's so captivating. It's so amazing. The author of Ecclesiastes in chapter three actually wrote and said that no one knows what God has done from beginning to end but he is making all things new in, in his timing and he has set eternity in all of our hearts. That's my paraphrase. He has set eternity, he has set a longing for all these things in our hearts. And Jesus would say in John chapter 17, verse three, he said, and this is eternal life. This is eternity, the thing that we long for. It's that you may know him, the one true God and Jesus Christ that he has sent. Here's the question for you. When do we have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ? Is it now or is it in the future? Yes. But the fact is, it's now. Are we living our lives currently in light of the greatest unforeseen reality of this current moment? Jesus himself. And the union, the invitation, the relationship that we've been invited into. Now. Because the good news of the kingdom started long time ago, was inaugurated in a new way with Jesus coming to the earth. He has sealed it. He has secured it. It's a sure and set victory that it is coming. And we get to experience aspects of it now because of him. Because see, the greatest blessing, church, that we are actually going to receive when Jesus comes again as king, I don't think the greatest blessing is actually going to be that it's these streets of gold. <laughs> And it's these trees with fruit that we don't have to pay for. We can just pick and eat. It's not going to be that there's rivers of life running and we can drink and it's all. It's not going to be that there's no more crying. Or it's not going to be those things. The greatest blessing of, of this new reality is going to be Jesus himself. Because again, without Jesus himself, without the king, there is no kingdom. And we have the invitation, again, to live the present reality in light of the greatest unforeseen reality of this moment. Jesus. So what do we do with this? Jesus would tell us, um, again, to be ready, to be watching, to be faithful, to be diligent. He says that in a good number of parables that we don't have time to address today, but I want to speak to one, to one thing. And I had to be honest, I was just thinking about this. And yeah, just as I talked to different people, a lot of people, even Christians, myself included, at times when we think about the second coming of Jesus and we think about Jesus as our coming king, we actually don't think about it with much excitement. I'll be honest, I don't always think about it with much excitement. Sometimes I almost think about it with fear. Because there are parables that say, watch, wait, be ready, right? The virgins in the, in the oil and, um, you know, all the parables, right? And we get more the sense of like, oh, oh, uh, ugh, like, am I going to be okay? 
I really appreciate what A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, said about the second coming of Jesus. And he said, the second coming of Jesus should not be something that causes us grief or bereavement, but it will be the victory of the bereaved. Think about that for a second. The second coming is not going to be something that causes us grief or bereavement, something that we have to be afraid of. But it's actually going to be the victory of the bereaved. As we think about the second coming, as we think about Jesus coming in, we don't have to be driven by fear. We don't have to be afraid, but I've, I've felt the invitation this week to begin to think about it more often and actually to think about it as the arrival of my best friend coming to stay with me forever. You know what I mean? The anticipation. When I was a kid, we grew up in Connecticut. My mom and dad met in, in Denver, Colorado. So all of my family was there. And my grandparents, they didn't like flying, but they would drive out every single year to come see us. And we always knew ahead of time when it was going to be, usually it was around the fall at the start of school because they love to come and see the foliage of, of New England. And so we'd actually get to take a couple of days off of school because they were coming. And we would, my mom tells us, and I remember doing this, that we would take these little chairs and we would bring them and we would set them out at the curb of the street and we would set it out there like in the morning. She would, she would tell us, hey, they're coming today. But she didn't know exactly what time, right? Because they're driving and they're old and they stop for bathroom and they stop for this and they see something cute and they whatever. And so she's like, they're coming today. When? When? I, I don't know, but they're coming today. What time? I, I don't know. Like we would just go back. So we would just take our little chairs and we would set them out there and it would be usually, uh, depending on what time of season of life this was, there's at least three, four, five, maybe six of us sitting out there in these chairs. And we would just be sitting waiting all day, literally just waiting for grandma and grandpa to see the little Cadillac come rolling down the street from the pole in the driveway. And we had this long driveway and we would just book it and we'd go running, grandma, grandpa. Like it was the greatest experience and feeling. I mean, it was on one hand, like, oh, like the, the, the waiting, you know, but on the other hand, that reality. And I think you guys, that that's the picture that, that the gospel paints for us. That's the picture actually that all of scripture paints for us. Yes, there's warnings. Yes, there's, but it's, 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 again, to try to encourage us in the hope and in the reality and the truth and the reminder of what story are we living into? That the second coming of Jesus as King ought to be the most beautiful and anticipated, the most hope-filled thing that we have to look forward to in this life. And again, I'll confess to you this morning, I don't always live in light of that, but I feel that conviction this week as I read through far more than I can present to you today. Miss you, what story are you living into? Last little anecdote I'll share with you is this. I, I was able to hang out with a friend this week that I haven't seen in a while. His name's Paul. And Paul showed up and he had this cute little puppy. And um, so for whatever reason, we started talking about puppies and dogs and cats and all this stuff. And he's like, dude, you got to hear this meme that I saw recently. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, there's this meme that I read. And it said, a dog woke up one day and it looked at its owner and it said, wow, this person feeds me and it clothes me and it provides shelter for me and it pets me and it plays with me and it lets me rest and it fans me when I'm hot and it cares for me, does all these things for me. Wow, this person must be a God. And then this, a cat woke up that same day and a cat said, wow, my owner feeds me and it cares for me and it wants to play for me and it provides all these things for me and provides shelter for me. Wow, I must be a God. And I thought, no offense to cat people in here, but I just thought, man, in light of reading all this stuff and my own honest wrestlings was going, man, like what perspective am I living with? 
Who, who's God in my story? Who's the center of my story? Who's the alpha and the omega of my story? Who's the one who was and is and is to come in my story? I can be so myopic and my story can be so much about me almost living like I'm the king of this realm and I've got to control these things and posture for these things and go after all these things. And the invitation again, I hear this week and I think the Lord has for us as a church is, Missio, what story are we living into and who is the king of your story? Last thing I'll share. No more antidotes, just a, a scripture. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says this, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. What's, what's the importance of this? I, I believe it's this, church. That you and I, because Jesus is Savior and Sanctifier and Healer, we have been named and given an identity of two things. We are God's covenant children by his work in the new covenant, and we are to be his kingdom representatives. Those are the two primary identities I believe we are to live into. Covenant children, not by our own work and nor our own doing, because he's our Savior, Sanctifier, and our Healer. And we are also to be kingdom representatives. Why? Because he's King, and he's coming again. And you and I have a call to live in the identity first and foremost as his children, but also to live in their identity as kingdom representatives. And what this verse here is saying is that the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that there is a good story and this good city is a reality and a truth someday, is the invitation for us to partner with God in his return. That we, that we get to participate in in. in ushering him in and welcoming him in, even quickening his return in a sense, as we live by faith, not by fear of this return, but faith and hope in the reality of it and sharing the good news. As you go home this morning, you get to share the good news within the kingdom that God has entrusted to you. And in doing so, you quicken his return. As you live in your neighborhood and you play and you do the things and you live the way of love, seeking the kingdom whose foundation is righteousness and justice, and you live in that way in your neighborhood, you're declaring him as king and you're quickening his return. As you go to work in whatever realm, whatever dominion, whatever position, whatever place God has called you to be, you get to live there as a covenant child and a kingdom representative, and you get to declare the good news of this kingdom. And in doing so, you are hastening the return of Jesus as king. You jump on a plane, you travel anywhere you go to the ends of the earth, you land and you touch down, you get to be there for recreation or for work, whatever it is. And you get to be there in that place as a representation and one who is called to be salt and light, one who is called to be a kingdom representative in that place of the reality of this true future. Representing the truth of the unseen reality in that moment, Christ present and declare and quicken the return of the good King and the coming of his kingdom. Missy, that, that's been my prayer this week for myself and for each of you, that we would remember the story that we are invited to live into, and we would live by faith, empowered by the Spirit, receiving grace and extending grace as covenant children and kingdom representatives of the good King who is coming, and his name is Jesus. Amen.